This episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast is brought to you by Bronto Software, the leading email provider to the global internet retailer 1000. For more ideas on how to improve your marketing automation and to take your email to the next level, visit www.bronto.com resources. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the award-winning Commerce Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Zakowitz, and in today's episode, we're going to have a, a little bit of a conversation around associated digital marketing tactics and the customer experience. So we'll probably talk a little conversion rate optimization, some email design, some CX design, and the like of that conversation. So we'll see where it takes us. It's going to be fun. It's going to be different, and uh, it's going to be interesting. And mostly, it's going to be interesting because of my guest today. I'm joined today by uh, Jamie Schrader. Uh, he's the chief strategy officer at the e-commerce agency Diff. So let me welcome to the show Jamie Schrader. Thanks for being here, Jamie. Thank you, Greg. Love the intro. Appreciate it, man. No problem. So I appreciate your time today. Why don't before we get into the nuts and bolts today, give the audience a little background about your role and who Diff is. Sure. Uh, so first and foremost, Diff is like you said a digital e-commerce agency. Uh, we are leading Shopify Plus partner. So our our primary work is around the Shopify Plus program um, with Shopify, of course, mainly here in Canada and the U.S. Although we do have some work overseas as well. We're based out of Montreal, although we do have a Toronto and a New York office. Um, and our clientele is incredibly eclectic. We range from apparel uh, customers to accessories to, you know, food delivery to mattresses. You know, anybody who sells anything online is, a, is an opportunity for us. And our focus is primarily on uh, website development and system integration. We do uh, experience design and user experience optimization, as well as overall client strategy and strategic consulting. That last piece is where I come into play. So as you mentioned, I'm the chief strategy officer. So my team is comprised of account managers and strategists who really work with our customers to identify and quantify their goals and objectives. Um, we help them create a plan to achieve those objectives and provide them strategic consulting and website optimization uh, services along the way as well. Very cool. So you are, uh, you're based in Montreal yes. and I'm now knocking the guest list from my countries off because I've had uh, two from Germany. I've had the UK. Now I've got Canada off the list as well. So Perfect. We're in good shape. <laughs> How's Montreal these days? Oh my God. I mean, Montreal is the most incredible city in the summer. It is not as much fun in the winter when it's minus, uh, oh geez, well, it's minus 40 <laughs> Celsius, whatever whatever you Americans call that in Fahrenheit. Cold. Uh, but no, in the, the summer, it is yeah, cold. That is very <laughs> cold. But no, Montreal in the summer is absolutely incredible. The weather is amazing. Uh, there's the jazz fest. There's a comedy fest. It's, it's, it's an amazing place to be. I love it here. Very cool. We were talking right before we, uh, we started recording today. Your wife is expecting a, a child any minute now. Any so minute. I might need to cut this short and you can run. <laughs> this might be the first I got a text from my wife that her water broke on a podcast, uh, definitely on this podcast for sure. So I'll, I'll keep you posted for sure. <laughs> Baby number three is on the way. Yeah, that happened to me with, uh, with my second son. I was just about to get on a consulting call. I was literally about two minutes away from jumping on a call and I got a text from my wife saying my water broke and I said, all right, I'll be home, you know, Oy. and I just kind of took off. And <laughs> I'm glad I did not do the consulting call first because we would have been having a car child. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, the, every meeting I set these days comes with a, please note there's a chance I may bail and or miss it completely. <laughs> you know, I'm missing much. <laughs> All right. So, so Jamie, you're plugged into the retail and e-commerce world. Mm -hmm. So whether it's through your own analysis or commonalities you find working with your clients, let's start here. What do you find is the biggest challenge for retailers today? Uh, well, today, I mean, there, there's there's so many different challenges that we face. I mean, you know, the the wonderful, the exciting and, and obviously scary part of, of the digital marketing space and e-commerce space is that things change so drastically. The most consistent thing is that there is so much that can be done. Every one of the merchants who come to us come to us with 
with a lot of confusion and concern over where they should dip their toes into what pool, right? So there's so much we can do. What what should we be doing first? And what ends up happening is that a lot of people are doing a lot of different things. There's, you know, your site, there's your brick and mortar stores, there's uh, mobile experience, there's Amazon, there Walmart is building a marketplace. There's all different kinds of opportunities where, where you can sell, how you can sell, what your priority should be. So for our merchants, the most common challenge that they're facing is, is really where to focus their time. And what ends up happening is, is that instead of saying, okay, I'm going to really focus on these two things, master them, accomplish them, and then move on, what a lot of merchants end up doing is they dip their toes into many different pools, but they don't dive into any of them. So I guarantee you've seen this where you see a company will offer like ship to store, but they won't fully operationalize omnichannel and they really won't set themselves up for proper omnichannel experience. They'll invest in a personalization tool or a dynamic content tool, but they don't really invest in resources to actually take full advantage of those tools. They'll redesign their entire online experience, but spend no time on their content or their product images. So a lot of these types of examples that you see on a daily basis or I see on a daily basis are just still so consistent. So the real big challenge actually is taking a step back and saying, okay, what is our actual objective? What are we trying to accomplish? And what are the top three things we need to focus on first? Let's do 100% of those things and then move on to the next. That's the most common thing. There's just, there's just so much out there that you have to choose what makes the most sense for you. Yeah, I certainly used to see it when I was doing client consulting from the email side as well, right? Because you obviously have this list of 25 things you want to do to make your email program better. Totally. The same thing. They, they want to work on all these different things and you wind up getting 10% of 10 things done and then kind of sit there, right? Exactly. So from your standpoint, you just mentioned it a little bit. I want to dig into that a little bit more though. You, you wanted to say, hey, let's take a step back. Let's figure out what your goals and primary objectives are. Make a list and focus on these things. How do you start compl- completing that list with clients, right? So when you sit down, you might have maybe, let's just say three stakeholders at the table with you. One person is on the marketing side, one is on the IT side, one is on the, the website, you know, UX design there. And they all have different priorities in mind. How do you start to focus on, hey, this this is the thing that's going to lead the cart and we got to figure out what the cart's going to be. Where do you start with a client from that? perspective? It's a good question. And it's actually, this is my favorite part of people always ask you, what's your favorite thing of what you do? It's this conversation. It's sitting in a room with these stakeholders in front of a whiteboard, ideally. Maybe there's a beard in my hand. I'm not really sure. But we get to sit there and we get to talk about the best part of the job is to identify what we want to accomplish and work backwards. So I've always said, and this is kind of, I start every one of these meetings with, uh, you can't win the race if you don't know where the finish line is. So let's start with our our annual goals. Let's start. And, and I, I limit every one of our merchants to three to five goals max, because like you just said, you end up with 10% of 10 things accomplished. It makes no sense. So we start at the finish line and we say, okay, we want to, let's talk globally. We want to increase customer engagement. Great. What are the metrics we're going to use to see that? We want to see conversion rates go up. We want to see email engagement go up and so on and so forth. And then we start working backwards. All right, well, how are we going to get there? Let's talk about Q1. And in Q1 to get to that point, we got to start making these changes. We can't add a personalization, you know, to our email without having a personalization tool. We can't start personalizing content without having templates designed that allow for personalized content to go into them. Uh, we can't start omnichannel practices without making sure that we have an operational standpoint where we're going to put orders in the stores and so on and so forth. So we start at the finish line and work backwards because what ends up happening is that no matter what things are going to change. So you're going to have to iterate. But at the end of the day, if you kind of have an endpoint, a goal you're trying to accomplish, you can always course correct to make sure that you get back on track. I've, I've literally been on calls with project managers, developers, and clients where after 10 minutes of a discussion, I've kind of stopped the call and said, guys, we're, we're going down a rabbit hole. It's not going to get us to our final goal. So can we get back on track here? Let's put a pin in this thing and then reassess. So that's the objective is, is really, if you start with the finish line, it's kind of hard to get too far off track. So that's how we built our list. 
when you're going through and doing that with clients, do you wind up circling back to one specific thing that you see more often than not? So you've got 10 different clients and they all want to do 10 different things. But when you start at that end goal and work backwards and you're like, all right, this is where we start. Do you find that one common starting place is more prevalent than others, or is it pretty much spread based on the retailer in the industry? Um, it's quite spread out, and the exact how we do it is is pretty spread out, but at the end of the day, it usually falls into one of two buckets. Either you have, sorry, I should say maybe three buckets. You have traffic coming to your site, and they're not converting. You don't have any set traffic coming to your site, but the traffic that you does does convert, or the third and unfortunate case scenario is not a lot of traffic coming to your site and the traffic that is coming to your site is not qualified traffic and they're not converting. But usually you start with one of those three buckets because I've had customers come to me and want to invest in A-B testing and conversion optimization and all these website improvements when in fact the little traffic they do get does relatively convert. They're, they're converting on the industry average, but they're not getting nearly enough traffic. So we kind of have to you know bring them back on par and say, listen, there's no point in improving your you know your experience if no one's coming to see it so very very often our starting point lives in a are the people coming to our site and if they are are they converting and if we can have that conversation that usually sends us down one path or the other i want to follow up on the conversion rate optimization in a couple minutes here from a let's talk about ux design for a minute sure what are some of the, the key trends that you're seeing happening right now as far as UX design? Well, I mean, I, I work very closely with our chief experience officer here at DIFF and, and uh, there's a few things that we kind of make sure are part of every experience design conversation. First and foremost, we still have a very mobile first design approach. So talking about the mobile experience is incredibly important. Content driven design is very important as well as personalization. I, I'm likely going to bring that up a few times today just because it, it's just becoming so, so, so important. You know, the, the, the mobile first approach, that's not a new trend, but what's starting to happen is, you know, three to five years ago, we'd be like, listen, it's getting more and more important. Traffic's getting bigger and bigger on mobile. That conversation has now changed to, this is really important because a lot of, if not the majority of your traffic is coming to you on a mobile device. So let's actually start there and have that conversation. You know, I, I, I think mobile web design is going to evolve as it currently does, but that's still, you know, people say like, oh, that's, that's old school. No, it's, it's still incredibly, incredibly relevant. Content driven design is, is also huge. I mean, in the constant battle for SEO, the content on your site is, is really, really important. Both retail-driven content or merchant-driven content as well as user-generated content. Uh, user-generated content is not only great for SEO, but of course, it is a conversion home run. Thank you, social media. So that's really, really important. Always talking about where content's going to live and what content is important is a very big part of the design conversation. And then, of course, the personalized user experience, right? I mean, that's just developing, you know, it's no longer just best practice and used to be like, okay, your slider would be here and you'll have this content there. It's now a matter of, well, let's talk with the different kinds of customers you have, the different kind of experiences that they're going to expect and uh, and kind of go from there. So building templates or placeholders for dynamic content and with all these better tools coming up, there's different options of we're going to have recommended products here and we're going to have, you know, we build now templates and, and, and you know, placeholders, not as much specific design elements anymore. Those are the key ones for sure that we're seeing. So on the mobile side, when I do presentations, things like that, I always talk about, hey, it, you know, it's 2018. If you're not mobile optimized, you're just not optimized, right? So <laughs> right. It kind of blows my mind a little bit that when I'm getting these emails, I'm signed up for hundreds of email programs, but I get emails, you know, whether it's holiday season or, or otherwise, that there's so many that are just not mobile optimized. Right. Tons of text. I've got a pinch in Zoom and I've, you know, it's just too much going on and it, I can't click on what I want to click on. It blows my mind that we're still in this place. It's baffling, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. You had mentioned content-driven design. Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned user-generated content and that's, it's obviously on, 
I think, on the forefront of most retailers' minds today. But when you're talking about content-driven design and content marketing, for lack of a better term, when retailers, are you referring to doing more blogging on there, or is the content really driven around the actual product themselves? So better product descriptions, better imagery for that, putting maybe Q&A portals onto the actual product pages and things like that. What, what specifically do you find that works better for retailers from the content side? I mean, all of the above, really. So the answer simply is, is, again, it's really based on the product that you're selling. To talk about user-generated content, first and foremost, let's use Amazon as the example. I don't think I've ever been to an Amazon page where I haven't spent at least half the time reading the reviews of that product, if I'm considering it. Because at the end of the day, we've, we've been trained now to trust our friends and the people around us. So at the product level, there needs to be uh, user-generated content around, you know, is it working? Is it not? Recommendations or feeds? And then also just sharing of that content. We're entering a world now where every time digital marketing comes up, people talk about influencers and, oh, there's, you know, influencers on social media are so powerful. But what's starting to happen very quickly is that the end user is getting really smart and saying, well, that influencer is being you know, paid to do that. And they're posting marketing shots and it's not really good. But if you see someone that you value as an influencer and they're wearing, you know, they're wearing something that you like and they're wearing it in their everyday life, all of a sudden, something clicks in her mind and says, well, I need to have that. Meghan Markle wore a jacket from uh, Macage, which is a brand I used to work with, and the site shut down within 12 hours because people just went nuts because she was out and about with Prince Harry doing something princey, and they were she was wearing a jacket. It went bananas. But if she posted on her Instagram a picture of her in a model shoot wearing that jacket, it would have not nearly the same impact. So people are getting really big onto the whole reality and credibility thing, and I think that's where UGC plays a really, really big role. But like you were mentioning around like Q&As and general content, the more you can get people engaged and show Instagram feeds and you can show, yes, Q&A and even brand specific testimonials, people like to hear from other people. That's what social media has done to us. So the more you have that, the better off you'll be. I'm going to tangent for a second because you said doing something princey, which I, I chuckled with over or chuckled at over here. <laughs> Let's play some instant <laughs> trivia. What are the three most princey things someone can do? Oh my God. Um, I'm picturing drinking tea at a tennis match would be a princey thing. Yes. I would probably imagine that they were going to uh, some kind of, you know, polo match yes. or you know, a, an event that I would not want to spend a minute at, but people that they, you know, they expect to. And, um, uh, you know, something charitable, I imagine, you know, going to like a kid's school and, and waving, you know, all Queen-esque. You know, th that's when I say princey, I mean, you know, the royal obligation type stuff. I love it. <laughs> I like to make up words if I can't find the right one. <laughs> that kind of where that one fell in. That's a great thing about podcasts. You can kind of do whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, guess so. You had mentioned before about when we're looking at websites, you know, you might get a lot of traffic, but they're not converting. You might get low traffic, but it is converting. And then you mm -hmm. might get the poor, the wrong traffic here. You guys focus on conversion rate optimization. So let's talk about CRO for a minute. Sure. What are companies failing to realize when it comes to conversion rate optimization with overall design of their site? I know you touched on a little bit with, hey, you know, it's not as simple as putting a navigation bar here and a left rail here with a navigation you know, or left navigation, whatever. But what are some of those key things with, with CRO today as far as it relates to web design? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, first and foremost, uh, you know, people still don't really realize that their customer is kind of different. So very often we'll sit in a room and people will like talk about best practice because they read an article somewhere or, hey, when I'm on a website and this is, I'm going to go back a little bit of a ways, but I once had a customer tell me, we do not need email subscription on our website. I never fill that out when I'm on websites. This is 
back in 2006, so it's it's obviously a ways away. But even then, email marketing was a thing. And and this particular customer, who I hope hears this because I've talked about it since, it literally we a year later, I'm like, we're gonna have to charge you to put this in later. Please let us put it in now. And he's like, nope, nope. Trust me, we don't need it. And sure enough, I can talk about that brand today. Email marketing is one of the most profitable marketing channels they have. But uh, it drives because we are all consumers as well as we are merchants. It drives what we do. What we do. So people they fail to realize that they are not their customer in most cases. And like I said, you start at the finish line. You know how is let's put a name to our female shopper and our male shopper, and let's define how he or she is going to shop, and then let's make decision. Let's use the data off our current site and make decision, and let's make decision based on that as opposed to simply an article we write or things that we like. That's still happening day to day. And then this is one of my biggest kind of when I said earlier, I talked about the finish line. The other thing I always say is that conversion rate is 95% of the time talking about revenue. But really, a conversion on a website is just means that you are getting your user to accomplish whatever task you wanted them to. We once built an e-commerce website where sales were great, but the overall objective was to drive them to the store locator page to drive them in store. This particular merchant had a very big focus on building their in-store traffic. So the conversion rate that we were trying to get was experience online, engagement with the brand, go into store. So our CRO exp uh, work was all based on how do we drive them to that goal? Email signups, social following, you know, share with a friend, prefer a friend, all these things can be conversions that you achieve through CRO. So revenue is not the only objective. Let's talk about all the things we want our customers to experience when they're engaging with our digital experience. Those are things people don't really think about. They just focus on how do I make, you know, money, money, money. But the truth is, is lifetime value is sometimes more important to focus than immediate sale. So you, you gave the example on, hey, their goal was to drive people in store. So you, the design of the site was to kind of funnel people over to that. You know, sales were great, but it funneled them over to the store locator. Can you recall something specific you did on that site that maybe is counterintuitive to what most retailers would think of, of that actually drove people to that store locator page? Totally. I mean, the first thing we said was, okay, well, your product page is going to be unique because it's the call to action on everyone's product page is the add to cart button. They had add to cart functionality, but that wasn't their primary call to action on the product page. The primary action on the product page was find a store with this particular product in stock. So the focus there was, it was a you know a unique uh, requirement, but that focus there was if they find a product and they're, they're ready to engage, it was, okay, let's drive them to the store that has that item in stock that's closest to them. I mean, that's breaking... 20 different rules, but that's what we have to do to make sure that that happened. Are there any tests that you guys have run with clients that the results surprise you? And that could <laughs> be a surprise on a positive side, could be a surprise on a counterintuitive or negative side, but anything you can think of that you're like, holy cow, we did this and we expected this, but it blew it out of the water or that failed miserably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, oh God, I've run so many of my time. Um, it, it is funny that you asked though, because we just recently, like a couple of weeks ago, we just finished an A-B test with a customer where they were actually seeing really great conversion rates on their mobile experience. Um, our design team actually won an award for their mobile experience, which is great, but they still had 40% of their traffic coming through desktop and they're they were just below the industry standard on desktop. So we noticed that the uh, a lot of items were just, they were falling off of the product page. So we, we actually increased the design of the product page a little bit where we offered a tighter uh, variant options. So like the, just the spacing was resolved between the title, the variants and the add to cart. And it, it created some room for some additional content about, because it was an apparel brand and they used live models, we included content around 
it was already on the page, but it was below the fold before. So we added it above the fold. Now you got the model's height, the model's measurements, the model's the size of the of, you know she was wearing a dress, the size of the dress she was wearing. You know, information that was is usually a very strong conversion tactic. And our client saw this variation. She's like, oh my god, I love that. Let's just do that right away. Like, why run the test? And we're like, no, no, no. Let's let's run the test and see what happens. And sure enough, that after statistical significance was achieved, we realized that not only did that change not really impact the add to carts, it actually had a negative impact, not by a lot. It was like by 0.5%. So really all it proved was this really had no impact. People were still buying off desktop based on the this data being available. So an improved experience in the product page based on, it was literally myself, uh, my chief experience officer and the director of e-commerce over at this company, all of whom have tremendous experience at, you know, in, in, in user experience optimization and stuff. And we're all like, oh, we should just make this change permanently, but nah, let's test it for fun. It proved that it really wasn't gonna have much of an impact. On the flip side, and another one that I've, I've loved and is a few years ago, my company, we ran an A-B test on a checkout where people, you know, it was, it was doing fine, but we just figured, you know what, uh, they have a slightly older demographic. And they said, what if we put the word secure checkout at the top of the page and a picture of a lock? So they actually put a picture of a closed like padlock. The, ch the checkout abandonment rate dropped significantly. The, it's not, not actual security badges, just as the word secure checkout. The conversion rate went up by like, I think by like 10%, it was a the, the amount of impact, a positive impact on those few words just proved that their particular customer really valued that just that extra level of comfort about security. Again, uh, we knew it would have an impact. We expected it to have somewhat of an impact, but the amount of impact it had was, was huge. So it, yeah, I mean, I, I have often been surprised by, I mean, and I consider myself pretty, myself pretty experienced in this, but I'm often surprised by how much of an impact or the kind of impact that you see from these things. There's no such thing as a bad AD test, right? If you achieve statistical significance, data is data, you're gonna learn a lesson one way or the other. So it, 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 it suppresses me often. Absolutely, I, I wanna kind of go back to two things. The first one's more of a comment than anything, but you had mentioned that a lot of times you're talking to people and you realize that as a retailer, you are not always your customer, right? So what sure. do you think? doesn't always transcend. I just wrote a, uh, I wrote an article this week on this as well. The, when I used to do email consulting, the first, one of the first questions I would ask a new client is, you know, what are your competitive differentiators? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there was always pauses with that. And then they kind of give you this running list of what their differentiators were. And my goal was to, hey, how do we reinforce these things and how do we use them inside of messaging to one, differentiate ourselves, but two, constantly reinforce this, try to build Pavlovian dog there. Right. But there were so many times where it was their perception of what their differentiators were. It's not what their customers actually felt their differentiators were. So it, it really reinforces the point where if you're a retailer listening today, think about what your differentiators are from your customer standpoint, not what you think they are, right? Because they all tell you, oh, our customer service. And like, well, how is that different from them? And they're like, well, you know, it's not really. And it's like, all right, well, what are your differentiators? So uh, so that was more of a comment than anything. No, and and if, if, I, if I might, that concept is, is literally what we live every day where we talk to a customer like do you guys have objectives oh yeah we have objectives okay let's talk about them and then they what do you well, we want to make more money how much more money well we you know we want to do like i don't know like 30 percent more this year great how do you do 30, like 30 percent in what fashion like what which categories you know are you letting like let's talk about and as you start asking you know more leading questions they realize that they actually have no idea what the answers to these questions are and you end up helping kind of get them there and that's sometimes they'll they'll 
give you a very quick answer and say, yeah, yeah, we, we, we got this. We, we have competitive differentiators. Well, let's, let's talk about that. And then they, they realize it unravels so quickly. They realize just how much they haven't really thought about this deeply. I guess that's, I guess that's why they need us. <laughs> you know, part of that is, you know, when I used to run an email program too, is if you say hit your goals one year, hey, I, I beat my goals by 10%, right? What happens? You get the customary, let's just slap a percentage on that number for next year and be like, all right, your goal is now 4% higher than that. So you're, you're almost stuck in this perpetual cycle of if you do well, we just throw an ambiguous number out at you and say, okay, now beat that by X. So that might go into that 30%. Hey, we're doing this and we think we should do 30% more next year because of growth projections or whatever. But not always realistic. Yeah, that's that's so true. Yeah, you had mentioned the test before about hey, putting the, the the live model things on there, so selecting size and height and things like that. What's the takeaway there? Is it that when people are on their phones, do you think that they're looking for a much quicker experience? So having those extra checks to be like, hey, you know, five seven X Y Z size is just too much on a mobile device. You want to kind of get through quickly. Where on a laptop, you have more time and, and bigger screens and you're doing a little more comparison. Is that the takeaway from there? Is there something else that you kind of theorize to be the reason for that not really performing like maybe was expected? Yeah, um, well, what we kind of took away from that was was two things. I mean, for, so just a, a you know, reminder that, that that test ran on a desktop experience only. You're actually totally right. People are looking for a quicker experience. The more like, we've, we've, we just, we are likely, more likely to scroll and to, to make quick decisions on a mobile device. If you're sitting down at your desktop to make a purchase, it's it's because you're you're spending time on it. But that being said, what we really learned from that is there's actually two theories that came out of it. One is tightening up the product page and making that content appear above the fold it was not required. So either that content isn't relevant or just based on our experience knowing that it is, it didn't matter that it was below the fold. And it didn't matter that there was a little bit of extra spacing between those variants and that title because this customer was engaged, wanted to buy this product. So they w- were getting more familiar with scrolling. So they probably found that content because it, you know, it was very clearly defined as specifications. So they they clicked on the button, they saw what it said. We could, we've talked about running the test where we actually remove that content from the product page and see if that would have an impact below the fold but truth be told is we, we've just we've seen enough from you know times from experience that having that content is, is a conversion win so we just kind of took it as a we've learned that this data now is is available and they're finding it and it's helping them convert but these changes had no real impact so the lesson there really is is that um you know sometimes what you think is best and, and had we designed the page from the get-go with those things in place we probably would have tested other things because like i said it wasn't a major difference but the end result is is that we didn't. We don't know have to go invest and, you know, redesign that page to get this content more available because we realize that where it sits right now is not having a positive Im- or negative impact. So we've literally just shifted our focus to other things now, and that's that's the big takeaway: is we don't have to waste time on that anymore. That's great because you just made a perfect segue for me. So let's make that. Um, you mentioned <laughs> above the fold and below the fold. You had specifically mentioned we're so used to scrolling now, and I. Oh yeah. Yeah. People open up their phones and they'll thumb scroll. So your email can be long. It just needs to be clear and concise, but it can be super long. Mm-hmm. I think that does translate over to to desktop and things like that as well. Does web design, in your opinion, play into how a retailer should design their email? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, so. Well, I mean, in so many ways, but but at the end of the day, because like we talked about earlier, right? There's so many channels to sell on, and there's so many different, you know, there's so many different channels that you you, you speak to your your customer on. That the most important thing is consistency. So when you design when you design your website and you're designing an experience, if you open up an email or open up a web page, especially on your mobile device. If you open up those things on your mobile device, you're going to experience them very similarly. So how you communicate 
primary messages and how many how you communicate you know secondary messages and, and add in personalized experiences should be very seamless because the experience is so common it used to be you know your email was such a different experience than your website so it had to be very very different now they're they're, they're relatively you know they've, they've been kind of built to have a very similar experience and um, what we've seen because all of us have 17 tabs open in our minds at all times at minimum. I'm a 17 tabber. My, my wife is a 40 tabber, so it depends on who you're talking to. But when they click through an email to get back to the site, to get to an app, to get to whatever ne the next experience, landing page, whatever the next experience is, if that experience isn't seamless, if the messaging isn't the same, if the content and the imagery and the, the even the site's layout and CSS is not the same, there's a there's a bump in the road right there because we are almost subconsciously clicking these buttons and playing around. So if we give them that interruption, right there we're risking just distraction and and uh, you know a different experience. So the value of consistency, especially in our multi-channel, omni-channel world, is so important because that's what helps them keep the thing. I've literally seen someone have a navigation on their website and they copy the navigation to their email experience, but it actually looks different. They used, they used the same verbiage, but the design, the layout was different. I could not believe that because that to me is, A, you're designing things twice, which makes no sense, but B, you're literally giving a different experience to someone that you want to engage with both channels. And it, it doesn't make any sense. The consistency is, is critical in both email and web design. What do you find to be the most common missing piece or design element in retailer emails? I, I mean, there's again, it's so different based on which merchant you talk to because they all have sort of different strategies. Some, some still focus on the primary, secondary image concept, where like you just said, there's a lot of scrolling. But I'd say right now, the most consistent missing piece when it comes to email is the concept of of segmentation and personalization. I I knew I'd bring this up a few times today because it's it's just so prevalent that people aren't designing templates still that leave room for dynamic content and things that we've seen work so well, like putting someone's first name or basing something off things that they've seen in the past or those kinds of things, which are becoming kind of like, remember when once upon a time you used to have to like buy a disc man, you probably, I don't know how old you are, you used to buy a disc man and put a tape into your- I'm 40. There you go, so you're right in my wheelhouse. You had to put a tape into your car to play CDs in your car and then all of a sudden every car you got had a CD player built in. Well, we're at that point now with email where you don't need a third party. Almost every ESP now comes with some level of segmentation or personalization in the tool and it's not being used. It's literally like driving down a car and singing to yourself because you didn't want to put a CD in the CD player. It makes no sense. It's there. That's what's missing. It's it's eight out of 10 merchants we talk to are still, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but batch and blasting and, and not personalizing their content, even to the nth degree of, you know, insert the, I, literally I've, I've maybe tested this. If you put someone's first name in the subject line, the open rates will go up and it's just not happening anymore. I think one of the challenges, and I certainly would experience this when I was doing consulting, and I think most retailers are in this position now with, we talk about Batch and Blast, is one of the reasons they do that is because there's just not enough resources on your internal email team. You have one or two people in your entire email department, oh, maybe yes. one graphic designer. I always say I can create 100 segments in less than an hour, super easy to do. I can't execute on 100 segments right. on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And that in lies the, the problem for a lot of retailers. Now, they don't invest in their email department because they want to obviously probably keep costs low or they just, they're fine with the status quo, right? Which kind of goes into the contradictory, hey, we want to grow 30% this year. But I, I find that to be the common challenge. We just don't have staffing on the email side to do that. You know, I always preach that you find the tools that you mentioned, that find the tools available to you that will minimize the work you need to do to get the best bang for the buck. And there's, product recommendations now, which will do that. You can make those intuitive to the user, right? You don't have to be a 
but let me hand code these product recommendations in there. For sure. First name personalization is one of those you know, things you can do for copy or subject lines, whatever. Dynamic content exists, right? But there are tools that will maybe do GOIP dynamic content or things like that to kind of reduce the creative that's needed for that, which will somewhat lead me to the next question. Well, two questions here. What would your recommendation be for retailers that say, you know what, I'm in exactly that situation. I don't have the resources available to me to have my email team or myself execute on a not batch and blast strategy. What would you say to them for, hey, this is how you overcome some of those things? Yeah, you're, you're, well, this is what we were talking about earlier, right? People kind of dip their toe in the pool but never fully dive in. You're spending thousands of dollars a month probably on your email service provider. You are One of our objectives here is to increase the quality of subscribers that come to our site. Let's go back to my, my racing metaphor. You want to win the race. You know where the finish line is now. You've bought this amazing car. You have a driver, but you aren't giving them a pit crew. You need the pit crew wins the race. And it comes down to, okay, well, if we're going to make this an objective, if we've recognized this as an opportunity, then let's look at overall budget and see, well, let's, let's see where we can get this person the help they need. You don't hire 10 people tomorrow. That's diving in the deep end without taking a swimming lesson. But you can do is you can say, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to put a full-time person on my email marketing and a full-time graphic designer on my email marketing. Instead of developing 100 segments and 10 different templates, I'm going to build one template that has literally you know, placeholders for dynamic content for my, I'm going to try to find my top five segments. Literally, let's just start by segmenting based on gender and geolocation. Let's start with that. Let's, let's provide different content for men and women and different content if you're in the U.S. and Canada, let's say. Let's start there. Start to generate some momentum and we start to go from there. I'm a big fan of, of walk, crawl, run. Sorry, crawl, walk, run, where you don't have to do it all at the beginning. But under no circumstance, if one of our objectives is going to be email marketing focused and you're going to invest in getting more subscribers and building a really cool tool, that you're not going to provide your, your team with enough support to take advantage of these things. Otherwise, don't invest in that tool. Don't make that a focus. Let's focus on other things. That's usually as harsh as I'll get with an executive or a CEO saying, I- I'm not going to ask you to waste your money to go buy a really cool tool and not build the team to support it. It wouldn't be worth your time. And that, that's actually, it drives me crazy, but people do that all the time is they, they'll buy Adobe Photoshop and they'll use it to, you know, change, you know, for 4% of their, of their picture and, and move on. They don't, they don't even take advantage of or try to take advantage of all the features it has with it. So I, I've sometimes you just have to have, have to have the harsh conversation and then when you read, when they often will realize that it makes sense and hopefully get on board, you then build them the walk, the crawl, walk, run plan. Okay. Let's start with, let's define three segments. Let's build a staff of two. Let's give them short term, but attainable goals and validate that the investment is worthwhile and then move on to the next step and build your team up to an additional three people. And now build it. And we kind of go from there. And that's why that annual roadmap gets broken down by quarter and by month and by sprint. I love the advice of the crawl, walk, run, the building blocks, right? You do one thing and then you just build upon it. You know, I always tell people, if you build one new message a month, I think it's just automation or whatever, but you have 12 messages at the end of the year that you did not have sending earlier in the year that theoretically would drive revenue. Same thing goes for content blocks inside of the message. To your point, let's find three segments, put some dynamic content in there for these three segments. Theoretically, that's only three, maybe based on how many sec- you know, secondary tertiary content you have there, that's maybe three, six, or nine pieces of creative you need. It's not a lot, but at least it's going, makes it different, and then you continue on from there. So I love the advice. That being said, we're talking about dynamic content, segmentation, GYP. Do you have any predictions of what 
you know, email is one of these things that it kind of is what it is, but there's new tools and plug and play things you can do to make it better. It's still email. You get on your phone, but technology on the phones are changing. Do you have a vision for what the next hot thing in email is going to be? Oh man, if I did, I'd be, I'd be a much richer man. Um, yeah, I mean, the truth is, is that, uh, well, I'll be honest, what surprised me over the years is how strong email has remained as a traffic and revenue driver for e-commerce with social media and, uh, you know, the concept of remarketing and, and, you know, influencer driven, all, all that, all the different things, you know, so often we still see email as the top, one of the top three drivers of traffic and revenue, uh, next to paid search, organic search and, and direct traffic. So uh, that actually right there is is surprised me. I, I don't know if that's going to change so much. I think we're going to start to see it just level out with some other things. I, I do think, and and what I keep reading about, of course, is is AI, and you know that's the obvious that's the obvious hot topic. It used to be mobile, and then it was omnichannel. Now AI is the hot topic on everyone's blogs, which really is just machine learning. An ex colleague of mine wrote a whole article about we got to stop calling it AI. It's machine learning. Uh, AI is the Terminator, and machine learning is using data to drive more more logic. But I'm, I talk about personalization all the time. I'm such a huge fan of it. I just think there's a limit to personalization. I think that, uh, especially with the ongoings now of, of you know recent privacy issues and PI issues and the whole Cambridge Analytica th- uh, thing, I think people are getting really, really sensitive to their personalized experience. And so what's going to start to happen is I think AI is going to start taking over. You're going to start talking about, oh, you don't need as much staff to run your email marketing. Just have one person turn the machine on and let it do its thing because we're getting to a place now where these systems are getting really intelligent. And then what's going to start to happen, I expect, is like they always have, the customer is going to show us what kind of impact it's going to have. They're going to show us pretty quickly how personalized is too personalized. Because it wouldn't shock me if we got to a point where there was like a function that said, oh, we're going to send your customers emails based on what they wear in their social media posts. Or better yet, we're gonna ask them for permission to get access to their webcam, and based on what they're wearing that day, we can show them products, which sounds ridiculous and insane, but once upon a time, someone said, Google's gonna present you ads based on what you send in your Gmail, and I laughed at that concept, and meanwhile, here we are. So we're gonna get to that point. AI is gonna get to a point where email does get a little bit automated, and you're gonna have CEOs come to you and say, great, I don't have to invest in a team anymore, but I think the customer is going to start showing us, well, hold on a second. I need somewhat of a personal touch. That's, that's it's a little bit too much. But I, I think I think you're going to hear more and more about AI. It's going, it's going to go to a level before it starts pulling back. Obviously, Amazon is is delving into the the picture with the outfit, right, and the recommendations for what you're wearing and things like that. So, I mean, that's they're still getting the kinks out of that thing. But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, there is some value to the prospect of whether people want it or not, but there is some value to using that technology to fuel recommendations from that side. How about pet peeves? What's an email pet peeve of yours? Oh my God. Can I, uh, can I have two? Sure. You can have as many as you <laughs> want. So um, I, I got to tell you, so we, we brought it up a few times today, but but Batch and Blast is, is such a big pet peeve of mine because it's still so common. Like I said, I think I said like, what, eight out of 10 customers are still doing it. And to your point, it's a lot because it's not, it's not the manpower isn't there. And, but like we were saying, it's, it's just there isn't a level of automation that you can build in. Like you said, you can build 100 segments in an hour. It's doable. So the fact that Batch and Blast is still a thing really drives me completely bananas. But the worst one is the focus on the quantity of subscribers versus the quality of subscribers. 
I literally said, and this is, you would think this was back in 2005 or six with that same customer. No, this is less than 18 months ago. I sat in a room where a executive VP of marketing sat down and said, my mandate is for us to grow our subscriber list by X. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about how we're going to do that. And he says, well, here's my, all my ideas, whatever it is. And I said, okay, but you know, how are we going to show that these are qualified subscribers? He's like, oh, I don't care. My only focus, my executives have come to me or my boss has come to me and said, it's got to be this number of email subscribers. I don't care how we get them literally had to sit there and, and kind of bite my tongue and try to as politely as I could remind him that if he were to double his email list, but his open rates and conversion rates drop by half, then all he's in essence done is drop his profitability in email because it still costs money to send emails to people. And it, it just didn't resonate. And, and the fact that we always so often when we talk to customers about their KPIs for email and they say, I want to grow my list. Great. But could we talk about quality? Like for example, if I got you 50 engaged users versus 200,000, sorry, 50,000 engaged users versus 250,000 users and you're not sure if they engage, who would you prefer? My dream one day is to not have to develop a win back or a, a win back campaign where you get them to kind of try to get back and engage with you. But the, the goal is to have an engaged list, especially here in Canada. We have all the castle laws now about how you can get, you know, um, expressed consent and implied consent and all these kinds of things. You know, the quality of subscribers is so important now that the fact that people don't focus on that just it irks me. It really does. I will agree with that 100%. There's one specific client I can remember I used to consult and I worked with her for years and she had a mandate from her boss who said, hey, we want to get to 8 million subscribers. And the person I spoke to on the phone every day, like me, we would roll our eyes and I, she's like, there's nothing I could do. We just, we, we got to get to that number. And we had the same conversation about quality and things like right. this. Like, well, do we have to mail to the unengaged people? Will they ever know if we don't mail to the unengaged people and just kind of stick them to the side? But it, it's a challenge, right? Because sometimes the email marketer is put in the middle. Oh, yeah. But the person running that email program, they're also responsible for hitting their own number, going to their boss. And it's going to trickle down that person, but you're almost... You're almost damned if you do, damned if you don't, because if you don't do it, then you're not you're not hitting your goals. But if you do do it, your your chances are you're losing profitability, like you said. Oh yeah, for sure, because you're going to sit in your in your review or whatever it is at the end of the year, and you're going to have the exact same conversation in two different ways. They're going to say, okay, listen, you hit your numbers, great. Next, why is your email campaign so not like so unprofitable? Like, why are we losing so much money on email? And you'll have to explain that you invested all this money to acquire new subscribers who don't engage with you. And they'll be like, why'd you do that then? The executives and the CEOs who kind of have that limited viewpoint, if you don't help guide their vision a little bit, then you're the one sitting in the hot seat at the end of the year anyway. Like that's just what happens. Um, and it's challenging. It, it is tremendously challenging. Jamie, I've, uh, I've enjoyed the conversation today. Oh, me too. Let's say if we leave the people, before we get to some fun questions here, if we leave the people with one main takeaway for today, what would you say that one takeaway should be? Oh my God. One takeaway? Uh yeah, give me two, three. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Listen, so one thing that I would I would always recommend, and I, we've talked about it a few times today, is uh, the power of testing. I spent time in the, in the traditional marketing space where I was in charge of buying billboard space and radio ads and all kinds of stuff. And I, I spent three months doing it, and I, I went home to my wife and I said, I'm, I'm either quitting or, or changing my, my focus because... To, to not have data available to make decisions makes it just it just didn't make sense to me in a digital in the digital age. We have these amazing tools that provide us tremendous insight, whether they succeed or not. These tests, it's insight. So test everything, try everything. You should be running A/B tests at all times on your site. Multivariant testing on your emails, on your website experience. If you do nothing else, if you take nothing else away from this podcast, try and test everything. And I guess the other takeaway I would I would really like to encourage because it's what I talk about here at Diff all the time is focus. Focus on one or two key things. 
Don't accomplish 10% of 10 things, accomplish 100% of two or three things and then move on to the next two or three because that's how you'll succeed. No one wants to hear about how you did a little bit of everything. They wanna hear about how you really did amazing at one or two things. So if you can do that and include some testing in there, I think you'll be okay. Awesome, well said. Thank you. You got a few minutes to stick around for some fun questions? Always, I love fun stuff. All right, Uh, are you an Amazon Prime member? I am. How long have you been a Prime member for? Uh, 18 months or two years? Years, but it's definitely been a couple of years. Oh, actually, no, no, my son is older. I'd say three or four years, two or three years, maybe. Okay. You said your son, was this based around like diapers and stuff like that? It's, it started. Yeah. So, uh, there's two, I'm a, I'm an avid movie fan. I love, I can watch movies literally all day and, um, hearing about prime video and getting an understanding that Amazon was starting to develop its own content and stuff got me really excited. Uh, that coupled with the fact that the whole concept of like having, uh, diapers and diapers and coffee pods on like a recurring delivery was was pretty exciting so those two things in particular were really exciting for me and and i gotta be honest i was a victim of this and and we can this could be a whole other podcast topic but you know we're hearing more and more these days about people being willing to pay more for shipping if it's fast we care more now about fast delivery as opposed to low cost delivery i mean that was a huge appeal to us for prime i do believe that one day there's going to be different levels of prime memberships and the free shipping is going to be either delayed or free pickup get it for free same day pickup at one of the lockers and your upper tier will get you the free two-day shipping. I have this firm belief that that's going to happen. You said you're a big movie buff. What's the most overrated movie? Oh my God. The most overrated movie? Jeez Louise, that's a really good question. The English Patient. (laughs) Have you ever seen The English Patient? I have not. I've seen the Seinfeld episode. I'm also... Okay, so I'm a Seinfeld fan, and that that episode drove me to see The English Patient. I made it about 30 minutes in, and I'm like, I can't, I can't. And it won Oscars. I get the acting, and I get the, I get it all for other people, not for me. So you're like Elaine in that episode. That is a classic episode. I don't know if I I jeopardize my career. I probably dumb, <laughs> I'd probably just sit through it for two and a half hours and let, let you know whatever. But you know. <laughs> I will tell you that that was not for me. I'll give you mine. Dazed and Confused. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow, I think, it's com- I think it's completely overrated. You find it overrated? Oh, Absolutely. no, 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 no. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, listen, the one thing about movies that I love is that everyone's entitled to their own opinion. <laughs> is a hot dog a sandwich? Ooh. Um, yes, a hot dog is a sandwich. Absolutely. Meat between two pieces of bread? Come on, man. 100%. Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Best Canadian beer. Oh my God. Um, I mean, my personal preference, I'm a Rickards Red or a Molson Export guy. Okay. I mean, both are Molson product, but uh, yeah, those are the two that I go for most often. I, I'm a big fan of beer, so there's very few beers I won't drink. <laughs> if you could eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh man. Um, well, if I could eat one meal for the rest of my life, it would probably be something in the world of a hoagie. So there's a restaurant here in Montreal called Dagwoods, which is like a Subway competitor, but they slice the meat like in real time as opposed to pulling it off the sheets like Subway does. If I had to for the rest of my life, it would be something like a Dagwood sandwich. Truth be told, if I have like my guilty pleasure, my wife's out and I'm eating by myself, it's usually like chicken fingers. But if I have to choose the same meal for the rest of my life, like every day, yeah, it's got to be some kind of Dagwood sandwich or, you know, turkey, ham and mortadella kind of thing. Very cool. You're going to sing karaoke tonight. What's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, my God. Um, either The Gambler by Kenny Rogers or My Way by Frank Sinatra. Not because I could hit any of those notes, just because it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome. I am going to set a, uh, set a stopwatch for you. So I'm going to give you 15 seconds to name as many insects as you can. Oh my God. All right. Ready? Go. Uh, fly, spider, beetle, uh, earwig, um, bumblebee, hornet, wasp, uh, mosquito, uh, 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 ant. Time's up. Okay. I'll give you ant. Okay. So you get thank nine. You. That's really good. Uh, okay. That's really good. <laughs> I always tell people if if you can get the seven, you're in good shape because that's really one every two seconds, which isn't that bad. Okay. I think you hit a lot of things with wings. Yeah. Well, I, I will tell you that in, at the very end there, I realized once I said wasp, but there was a movie that just came out, and I'm like, oh, ant as well. <laughs> very good, Jamie. Any questions for me today? Uh, I mean, I'd be curious, you know, based on some of your questions, I, I, we, we talked a lot about great e-commerce stuff, which, which I got a lot of great insights from you, which was awesome. But if you could eat one meal for the rest of your life, like one, the same food every day, what would it be? You know, I struggle on this one because I have, the older I get, the more I completely love tacos. Oh, nice. I don't know what it is. I would probably say tacos. I grew up in Buffalo and I am a big chicken wing fan, but I, I, I think every day, I think tacos would be my go-to. Oh, okay. Good to know. And last question again. Hard shell. Oh, hard. Of course, hard shell. No, it's called a it's called a fajita, but soft shell, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, most of it's the same thing, just with different names, right? <laughs> it's meat with cheese melted on <laughs> Absolutely. The only other question I'd have, again, we covered all of our e-commerce topics pretty well. Is what is your favorite movie of all time? If you think Days and Confused is overrated, what's the best one ever? Uh, it's a really good question. Uh, I don't know if I have an answer to this. This is the other thing too. The older I get, the less movies I watch. Probably because I have two kids at home. Sure. Um, my time's just not there, but sure. I've never been a huge movie aficionado. Ah. My my opinion is somewhat skewed here. I uh, I generally go where my interests are, right? So I'm a big hockey fan. I really like the movie Miracle a lot. There's just something touching about it with me. Of course. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, definitely up on my list. Uh, it's on everyone's list, yeah. If that Amazing. If that thing's on, I'll generally sit down and watch it. Groundhog Day, for some reason, I really like that movie. Not for some reason. Bill Murray, man. That's, that's, that's an amazing movie. Come on. And, you know, for probably a stupid comedy, which I love, my wife hates it. She had never seen it, and then we watched it, and she looked at me, and she's like, this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. Uh, I like Dumb and Dumber as well for just stupid comedies. Oh, my God, of course. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. No, I'm very fortunate I'm married to a woman who likes dumb movies more than I do. So, like, she would watch Dumb and Dumber or, like, uh, Tommy Boy or Groundhog Day with me in, in a heartbeat. That's, that's great. I don't think my wife likes Groundhog Day either. I don't, I don't even know why I married her. <laughs> she had never seen Spaceballs until about three years ago. See, now I'm a little jealous because she gets to see it for the first time. <laughs> I wish I could see that it for the first true. time. That is true. That was a classic movie. I was a kid when that thing came out. I loved it then. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I'd probably stick those up there. There's probably something oh else I'm God, thinking of that I'll think of after we, uh, we end recording here. But if you take all those out of it, I think Shawshank Redemption might, might be my favorite. Those are great choices, man. You know, it's funny. Earlier when you asked the most overrated movie, my mind went to the most appropriately rated movie is Shawshank Redemption. I've never seen someone who's like, oh, that's not one of the greatest movies of all time. So that, that I will tell you, that is, in my mind, it's it lives up to all of the hype and all the excitement around it. It's, it's a phenomenal movie. So I would agree. That's something else my wife had never seen until a couple of years ago. And we sat down and watched it and she loved it. She's uh, like, this course. is a great movie. And it was actually on TV a couple of nights ago. And I was, we were on the couch just flipping around. And she was like, ooh, Shawshank Redemption's on. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> you finally like something I like. Uh, any other questions? These are good ones. No one ever throws them back at me. Yeah, no. Um, you know, I, I feel I feel because you know because of the name of the podcast, I feel 
required to ask some kind of marketing-based content. You know what? I, I will ask one email-related question, and then I'll, I'll stop putting you in the hot seat. But I'm just curious. You asked me about like one of the hot trends of, of email marketing, like things that are going to be you know big over the next few years. What about you? You've, you're, you're extremely experienced in the email marketing space. What you know? What is it that you think is going to be the next big thing in email? You know, I don't know if it's going to be the next big thing, but I think right now video is underutilized mm. and under-tested in email. And as things shift more mobile and more phones and email clients are now allowing video to be played right inside the email, I do think that's one thing that is, whether it sticks or not, I think that's one thing that retailers will be able to funnel in there. I'm looking at use cases we talk about influencers and things like that. Why can't we have a video of XYZ influencer doing something and use that inside of an email showing how something fits nicely or we're in San Francisco in front of the Golden Gate Bridge and you know someone's wearing our product or whatever. It could be how to, and this could be for certain things, right? Post-purchase messages with how to care for your products or something, as opposed to link in the YouTube, just, hey, thanks for buying XYZ product. Here's how to care for five quick tips or whatever it might be. So I don't know if it's going to it's gonna be a, a mainstay, but I think video is going to be kind of the next testing ground for retailers to figure out, can we do it effectively? Can we do it scalably? And can we keep engagement higher? I mean, you look at all the data where YouTube is, if not the most popular, one of the most popular and fastest growing uh, social network. Right, Gen Z, it's the number one social network for Generation Z. Think about how video consumption has changed over the last, you know, five to ten years. And I think email is the one place for a lot of reasons. I mean, there's there are hurdles with it, but it's the one place where it's just it's not tested that much. And I think that's going to be the next battleground. Whether it is a comes in and then kind of fleets away pretty quickly remains to be seen. But I think that's one thing where people will start utilizing it in different ways and figure out what works best to engage your audience. That's a really good point. Yeah, and I think it's going to probably fall into the category of someone is going to figure out a way to do it well and do it in an effective manner, and then everyone's going to try to replicate that one person doing it well and effectively. Pretty much. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think there's an opportunity for Netflix right there. They're the ones who can uh, really lead the charge on that one. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about it, like you know Netflix, uh, Redbox, you know all these, pretty much all the. Well, I mean Redbox is OTT now, but all these online, you know, movie or media type companies. No, having previews of movies right inside the email, right? Or Redbox, I mean, there's a one-day rentals or whatever. So, hey, 20-second trailer for how to spice up your Friday night or whatever it might be, right? And you have that trailer in there that kind of gets you engaged rather than just being like, hey, rent something for your Friday night, get some popcorn with it. So I think there's a lot of engagement opportunities there, but this goes back to the old dilemmas that we talked about today. Who's creating the content? How scalable is it to actually create it and is it the email marketer? Is it the graphic designer? Is it a video production department? Someone's got to create this stuff too. So there's challenges with that. Absolutely. Really good point though. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens there. Anything else for me, Jamie? Uh, no, I, I mean, I think we've covered things tremendously. I mean, it, it occurred to me towards the end of our chat that, like I said, we can have a whole other podcast topic on the concept of shipping and how it's shifting from you know free shipping and cost-efficient shipping to fast delivery. I think that is just, that's an e-commerce trend that is shifting in a certain direction. But so that's a takeaway of let's keep an eye on how that goes. But no, Greg, this this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate this. It's been a lot of fun. Cool, man. We'll have in the description for the uh, the podcast ways to contact you. But if someone does want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to to reach you? Uh, that's a, Thank you for, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, really through email is always really great is jamie at diffagency.com. You know, follow me on Twitter is, uh, is at jschrader. Tweet at me as well. On my LinkedIn, you can drive by me and throw something out the window to catch my attention. 
any which way works for me, uh, but those those are by far the best ways for sure. Awesome. Jamie Schrader, everyone, Chief Strategy Officer at Diff. Thanks for your time, Jamie. To those listening, especially our listener of the week, Reggie from Houston. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Let, certainly let me know whether you did. Let me know whether you did not. And if there are any topics you'd like to hear about or you're interested in becoming a guest and telling your e-commerce story, I'd love to hear from you as well. So until next time, have a great day, everyone, and be kind to one another.